Greetings, listeners, and we're back at Costume Station Zero. I'm Bob Mitch, and I'm here again with Valerie Anderson to talk cosplay. So, Valerie, what attracted you to this hobby, and what do you consider your first costume? My first costume? Mm Mm-hmm. Oh, my goodness. Uh, When I was little, um, I did the Headless Horseman for Halloween. Wow, that sounds pretty cool. Yeah, it was, uh, my mom helped me. It was an old pair of jeans, one of my dad's old shirts. We cut a piece of plywood and put um, put it up in the shoulders with my head. There was a little cutout for my head, so it was teetering on my head. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that was that was cool. We stuffed the little arms, and I put a, a pumpkin... Um, Uh, Let's see, I stuffed the arms, I stuffed some little gloves, sewed the gloves to the arms, and then attached a pumpkin to one of the arms so he could walk around with his head. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it sounds like um, you've been in the the habit of making your own costumes uh, then almost since the beginning. Would you say that uh, your skill set's just been growing since then and that's been part of the appeal, the the hands-on nature of it? I've always loved to sew. Uh, that's my skill set right there. Uh, uh, things to do with glue and uh, vinyl and rubber and you know, I, things like uh, Eldrad uh, kind of put me off a little bit. Mm-hmm. I, it, it got to a point where I, was, I thought too much. I thought about it and went, you know, this, this is not something I have a skill to do. The problem here, uh, you folks are lucky being in California, but the problem here is there's nobody here to help. And <laughs> <laughs> this is not, I, I just came to the conclusion it was not a one-person operation. Mm-hmm. Well, for a costume so. like you're discussing, yeah, I understand that. Yeah, yeah. So uh, how, how long have you been costuming, would you say? Um, 20 years. Wow. But most mostly for Halloween, mm-hmm. I you know I've had theaters ask me to help them out, and I'm like, you know, I just don't have the time. Mm-hmm. I just don't mm-hmm. have the time. So Halloween, although I will say I'm in the middle of making one right now. Um, are you familiar with Downton Abbey? Uh, no. On PBS. Uh, no, not really. It, Downton Abbey. It, Downton Abbey is kind of like a upstairs downstairs. Oh, okay. Um, it, it's it is set in Edwardian England. Um, it's very popular on PBS right now, um, and I volunteer for our local PBS station here, and they've asked us to come in this Sunday dressed in period attire. Mm. 
So I am in the middle of making an Edwardian driving coat. That sounds really, really cool. Uh, yeah, uh, the, with the Gibson girl uh, walking skirt and the blouse and my little strawberry blonde Gibson girl wig and the big old hat and all that. So, <laughs> <laughs> what, Would you say you have an attraction to doing um, period costumes? I, I do period costumes, but what I'd like to do is characters. Mm -hmm. And I do, I do characters that I feel like I can display appropriately. Uh, Norma Desmond, Elizabeth I, Sherlock Holmes. Mm -hmm. I'll do a character from Sherlock Holmes. Stand I'm not real tall. I'm like 5'5", five five, but I only weigh like 107. So it's these tall, it's these gaunt characters that I feel like I can, you know, put, put forward and be convincing with. Sure, sure. Yeah, well, I mean, casting is definitely important to help pulling off the look, and uh, you, you seem to embody that pretty well. Uh, I know some people uh, obviously want to put that to the wind and, and just do their favorite character, and there's nothing wrong with that, but it definitely, I think, helps sell it, as we've been talking about. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, and and that's what I'm I'm struggling with Pertwee right now because I'm not really tall enough to pull it off. But if I do the costume right, I can pull it off. <laughs> <laughs> it's all in how you carry yourself. Remember, he he was uh, exactly what it is. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he almost has a ballet like quality in the way he'd move around. Um, but uh, you've listed a lot of costumes here. Do you have a favorite costume that you've done? That's a good one. Um, you've not seen this. It, this was a ghost. Um, I made it entirely out of tulle, that real fine net. The entire costume was made out of netting. And I made my face up as a skeleton. And underneath all that netting, I had put some, about four battery-driven Christmas light strings. Uh -huh. So the whole thing lit up. And that against a dark room really scares people. Sounds like it's really effective. Yeah. Was that was, was that for Halloween? Real effective. Excuse me? Was that for Halloween? That was for Halloween. Yes, that was for Halloween. Most of the stuff I do is for Halloween. Uh, I did the Wicked Witch of the West a couple of years ago. Um, uh, shoot. Um... So, you know, I, I, I did last year, and I, I wore this to Gallifrey last year. No, it was kind of a steampunkish outfit, uh, but it, it, it was kind of a steampunk Amelia Earhart outfit, mm -hmm. uh, which I did for Halloween, but I also did uh, for a flying club we belong to. Uh, we fly to um, an airport every other Sunday uh, for breakfast. Mm -hmm. And uh, so my husband and I got in our Piper Cub, me in that outfit and flew to Orangeburg, South Carolina last year uh, for uh, for that function. So <laughs> that was kind of fun. <laughs> so it sounds like you do a lot of costuming for um, uh, Halloween. Are there a lot of conventions out there that you attend in costume or no? Um, I make a good Klingon. Uh, I have dressed up as a Klingon at Star Trek conventions years ago. I uh, haven't done it in quite some time. Uh, I think I grew out of it at some point. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
<laughs> I, I can I can understand that totally. But that that's pretty cool. Um, how how long have you been a, a Doctor Who fan? Um, started in nineteen seventy five, I believe. Um, I <laughs> a friend of mine and I were visiting a friend in Charlotte, North Carolina, and he. Uh, said, you've got to see this, you've got to see this, and Doctor Who was on their PBS station. Mm -hmm. It was Hand of Fear. Ooh. It was the last episode of Hand of Fear. I had no clue what I was watching. I had, I, I, I watched the whole thing, and I sat back after I saw it and said, what the hell did I just see? <laughs> it the I first of all, it was the very last episode of that story, so I didn't even have any backstory. Uh -huh. But the reason I like I like the Eldrag character is that's the very first Doctor Who monster I ever saw. Sure. Yeah, and I was like, I was impressed, <laughs> and who wouldn't be? Mm -hmm. um, but the rest of the, you know, I was, I was noticing a little bit of flimsy sets. I I was noticing. Uh, costuming that wasn't the best in the world. I mean, the male Aldred, give me a break. Mm -hmm. um, but the but the dialogue was brilliant and the acting was wonderful. And I was like, "What the heck am I watching?" Well, yeah, what are you watching? What what could the what could be this very strange show? I beg your pardon. What could be this really strange show that you that's yeah, been put in front of you? It's like what did I just watch? And but it was a few years later before South Carolina uh, was blessed with Doctor Who, and I just happened across it, and for some reason it clicked. I have no clue why, but it clicked, and I mean it clicked hard, man. I mean mm -hmm. I was I was after every Doctor Who episode I could find, and you know back then I mean this was like ten, fifteen, maybe twenty years ago. They, they not all the episodes were published. The BBC was just getting around to getting them on videotape. Sure, sure. Um, to a point where I found out about a group of people called Loose Cannon, mm -hmm. who's a group of folks that do reconstructions of the lost stories of Doctor Who. Right. And in order for me to get everything they had, I just decided to volunteer to be a dub site for them. <laughs> so I've been a dub <laughs> I've been a dub site for that for that outfit for about twelve years. Oh wow! I wish I'd known that. I I, I just finally got most of them, but man, if I'd known that before, I'd been like, hey, I need some more of these. What would you say has been your favorite costuming event or convention? My favorite costuming convention. Mm -hmm. Is that what you? Mm -hmm. said? Um, probably Gallifrey twenty eleven because that was the first year I wore the Hartnell outfit. And I was so pleased to see so many people in costume. I mean, when I first started going to Gallifrey, there may have been maybe four or five people in Masquerade to a oh. point where they were they were thinking about getting rid of it. Yeah, no, I I, I remember that too. And as as I've said before, costuming definitely took a dip in in Doctor Who fandom. There, I would say in the early mid two thousands, and it came back in a big way starting. 2007, 2008, really, if you think about it, because of the new series and the new influx of fans. Right, right. Um, I, I, I was just so pleased to see that. And people are so proud of their costumes, and they should be. Mm -hmm. Folks go to a lot of trouble to do this. And I'm hopeful that, and, I, I, and I'm seeing, 
you know, the talent uh, that that they get. Um, these folks really appreciate the fans getting out there and doing this. Completely, completely. Yeah, yeah. That, that's that's really telling that that you you know would rate that over your your earlier experiences doing like a Klingon, which to me in a way is almost more of an involved costume than Hartnell. Well, in its own way, I know different ways, so to speak. Uh, but, I, you know that wasn't it. It was a that was a that was a costume that took two hours to get together. Oh. Uh, that actually that that character's been called on in Columbia, South Carolina. The um, the State Museum had a Star Trek exhibit and called the Klingon in to help open it. Oh, that's great. <laughs> so, well, this this leads me to uh, you know standard question. You know, number two would be. What do you consider your best experience in costume? Elizabeth I. It's one that, uh, that's been called on again several times. Uh, our PBS station here in town has called her in. Mm-hmm. Um, and, it, and it's one of these costumes I've always wanted to do. I've always wanted to do Elizabeth I because um, I can pull her off. Um, and the costume itself had some things in it uh, that I had never done before. Uh, I had never done boning before of a bodice challenge. Um, and uh, uh, it's a bit of a sentimental costume as well because it's the last costume that my mom helped me with because uh, she came over and helped me hem the thing. Uh, and it was the last time that she was able to help me do something like that. So. Oh, of course, yeah. Um, and then conversely, do you have uh, a worst or funniest or tragic experience in a costume? Well, not necessarily tragic, but I it very very early. Uh, I I belong to a group of people that collect player instruments instruments mm-hmm. to play themselves. Mm-hmm. I've got a player piano in the next room, and they had a convention once a year. Um, and at this convention, they inevitably have this one big night, like Gallifrey has the masquerade night. And I, I, I got the flyer, and it says, well, dress in costume. I missed the word period costume. They just said dress in costume. And I went as an Indian. A damn good one, but that's not <laughs> But that's not what they had in mind. Everybody else was dressed up like, not unlike the, the costume I'm working on now, uh, uh, you know, period costume, which would be early 20th century. Okay. Which was not an Indian. But I show up in this outfit, and I felt like an absolute fool. So. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's my horror story for costuming. <laughs> Well, this this also gets a, a bit into knowing your venue, right? Yeah. Uh, well, the other embarrassing thing was actually when I was, did uh, Hartnell 2011 and didn't realize that if I did not tell the sound department to play anything over my stage performance, that they, I, I thought they would play something normal like a Doctor Who theme. Right. But they, but they didn't. It was total silence, and that was the longest forty-five seconds of my life. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny because when we did our, our skit in two thousand nine, we asked them not to play anything, and they still played the Doctor Who theme like on a loop over us that we that we had to kind of shout over. So oh, we had the opposite problem. 
Um, so what would, what, what would you say is your number one tip to anyone starting out in cosplay? Study the character. Study the, every picture you can find. And if you happen to be in a, in a flea market or a thrift store or just keep your eyes open. Lowe's, uh, you know, Home Depot. You would be surprised what Lowe's and Home Depot has to offer. Oh, yes. And Michael's. Queen, Queen, yes. Uh, Queen Elizabeth's staff came from Lowe's. It's a curtain rod. Yeah. But it's a damn nice-looking curtain rod. Curtain rods are great, yeah. <laughs> yeah, keep your eyes open. Keep your mind open. If you, I, I just, and I'm sure you figured this out. If you go out and look for something, you'll never find it. Usually, unless it, unless it really is truly common, but you're right, usually. Uh, the scarf, Cardinal scarf. I look up and there's this little Pakistani lady standing there selling scarves on a street corner in New York City. And I look down and there's the scarf. I wasn't looking for a scarf, but there it was. And how long, and had, how. But how long had you had your eyes peeled for that before you found it? Uh, about a year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That yeah. sounds about right. I had looked everywhere. I, I, Etsy wasn't even helping me, and usually Etsy, you can get anything. But <laughs> Usually, usually. But yes, it, it is a great help. Um, so what costume projects are you working on right now that you're willing to talk about? Well, the one uh, for uh, Downton Abbey, uh, the, uh, Vic, uh, the Edwardian driving coat with the Gibson girl outfit up underneath it. Um, that's what I'm working on currently. Um, I honestly, I have the, uh, foam for Eldred. I have the, uh, the jumpsuit pattern for Eldred. I have the fabric for the jumpsuit chosen for Eldred. I've got the outer workings of Eldred's ring. Mm-hmm. I have ideas about Eldrad's hat and shoes, but as I was working on this uh, driving jacket, I realized that I don't have the skill set to do Eldrad. I don't have anybody here to assist me in, in doing this. It, it's, it's more than I recognize I can handle right now, and I'd feel more comfortable Presenting something at Gallifrey that I'm that I know I did right. Sure, sure. No, I totally understand that. So, you know, I'm not going to Gallifrey, particularly this one. I mean, this one coming up is important, and I'm not going in there with something that I'm unsure about. No, that makes perfect so, sense. Yeah, no. If if you're gonna do it, do it so, right. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I applaud you right and left for what you did last year. That was absolutely amazing. Oh, the, the and it actually and it and it and it and it was one of the inspirations for me to go with Eldred because of the foam aspect of it. Um, mm-hmm. I had had thoughts of uh, I had had thoughts of uh, casting molds from gravel in my parking lot. <laughs> <laughs> That's perfect. Uh, <laughs> And uh, that didn't work, <laughs> but you know. I, but when I read your uh, overview of the costume you did last year, um, just 
that just, Morbius was just brilliant. So. Oh, thank you, thank you again. Huge hats off to to Paul. That was really you know his uh, brainchild. But I was happy to learn and uh, you know wear it in pride. You know. Um. So, what would you say uh, for a completed costume has been your most stressful or challenging costume? Probably Hartnell. Uh, there were a lot of pieces, parts to that thing, and every you know, it was a labor of love. Don't get me wrong, oh, but yeah. it was two years. Okay. It was two years in the making. Literally, I got the cane first. I saw it on eBay. I said, I've got to get this cane. One of these days, I'm going to do Hartnell, and that cane sat in the corner for three years. And it wasn't until two years ago I went, you know, I think I can pull this off. Uh, the most stressful part of that costume was the hat because I had made it before I had purchased the wig and ended up having to alter it by taking out the the thick lining uh, so that it would fit over the wig. Right. Um, other than that, and, and ironing on, um, you know, web interfacing to, to yards of gauze to make a pair of pants, <laughs> <laughs> it, it worked out. <laughs> Um, well, uh, you, you mentioned this before. Um, I, I, I think it's a, a good point you made about uh, what, what are your thoughts about pursuing a costume very specifically to the utmost possible screen accuracy versus going to just do the character, do the read. You know, this almost follows the same line of do you want to go high end or do you want to go the budget version and, and, and where do you stand on that? Well, you know, I'll pay a price up to a point. I'm not going to pay $200 for an ambassador hat for Hartnell. Mm -hmm. But I did pay $25 for a hat that I had to take apart to make another hat for Hartnell. Um, I, I like to be screen accurate up to a point, but I'm, I don't... This is going to sound so silly. I like to be screen accurate up to a point, but I don't like to be anal about it. Sure. I'm, I, I hear of people that have arguments about the pinstripes on a suit and how far apart they are. I don't go there. If I want to make a pinstripe suit jacket, I'm going to go buy some pinstripe material that looks like the jacket that I'm seeing in this picture or this screenshot. But I'm not going to get down to measuring stuff. Well, I think you summed like No, I totally understand. I think you summed it up very well that you like to go for the character as you see it in your head, um, sort of an ideal versus necessarily always going to the letter in a photograph or busting out a Pantone book or ruler, right? Yes, because sometimes that just flat doesn't work, especially with the um, the lanyard on Hartnell's monocle. If you went with what you see in screenshots is way way too big to my mind it's way too wide so it it, it needs to work in in real life too when you so say that's why no i'm sorry when you say that you mean it would have been way way too big for for your height and build so you need to adjust for for you my height and build but it just looked too big for the rest of the outfit so yeah probably for my height and build so i cut that back i i mean i used a three-eighths inch uh, piece of ribbon instead of something that was much much wider than that and it made it look that much better 
And, sure. and that's when I said before, uh, particularly if I want to do Pertwee, I'm going to have to do Pertwee for a 5'5", five, five, 107-foot woman, you know, or 107-pound woman. And that's not, that's not Pertwee, okay? But I may be able to pull it off, so we'll see. <laughs> Just get the feel of Pertwee, get the stance of Pertwee, exactly, right. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, I think that's a very good philosophy to have, and it, it definitely lets uh, your life get by with fewer headaches than to sit there and, and try for uh, millimeter accuracy. I'm all for it if it can be done and, and it's not going to you know eat up your life and your budget, but uh, it, you, yeah. you do have to adjust, I think, based on your build, because unless you're that rare case where you are a dead match, you know, height and look and, and uh, build wise to the actor, then you are going to have to make adjustments. And therefore there goes your screen accuracy. Um, so have you, do you have any uh, stories of a, uh, a common or funny misidentification you've ever gotten in a costume? You remember the first Romana? Oh yeah. And uh, that, that white feathery outfit she wore. And I can't remember the episode. Rebus operation. Um, Thank you, Ragos Operator. I I came in her costume one year, and it was one of those years, to Gallifrey, and it was one of those years where I and maybe two other people had dressed up, which was kind of embarrassing, um, but people kept mistaking me for the White Witch hmm. from Narnia. And I was like, I've never even seen Narnia, so... <laughs> <laughs> but... Um, it, I'm I'm hard to misidentify. I mean, if I'm going to dress as a character, I'm probably going to be in an environment where people know that character. I cannot wear Hartnell in South Carolina. Of course not. People don't know. People don't know who he is. It is totally lost on people here. So you know, I can wear Hartnell out there. But I can't wear that costume here. Well, it sounds so, like you know it. Just, no, I was going to say it sounds like you certainly know very well when and where to wear stuff, and that definitely helps avoid that problem. Yes, you can't. I I could not wear Hartnell in a redneck bar in South Carolina and get away with it. <laughs> no. <laughs> so. I, I don't think there's any doctor costume I would do that with, except maybe Eccleston. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, that that's cool. So, um, you know, uh, something that my friend Meta brings up: uh, uh, cosplay or costuming. Uh, do you see a difference with the terms, and where do you uh, see yourself fitting? Um, I I consider myself a costumer. Um. The only, you know, really, um, the only cosplay, if you want to focus on the play part, is when I did the Feminine Hartnell last year, because I had fun. Well, the, but the Hartnell costume that I did, you know, I suppose you could call that, I didn't call it cosplay. Other people did, I didn't. I dressed as Hartnell. If they want to call that cosplay, that's fine. I think the play part of that, though, is being the character. Uh, you know, posing for pictures, you know, doing the stance, uh, you know, doing the hands on the lapels, uh, standing with the cane, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah, that's cosplay. 
Right. Yeah. I people have different uh, uh, ideas about the the terminology. I mean, nowadays it's more or less accepted as a blanket statement for both making and wearing the costumes. Which you know, I've swung with it, but I, I've noticed anyone who's been at this for much longer than at least a good eight to ten years. Uh, in any capacity, whether you got into it for Halloween or whatnot, uh, kind of was a little puzzled by that term. And I know I was too. I've, I've gone with it now, but even to, still to this day, I still think, wow, that is weird. How did, how did we end up with this term about this? But uh, I, I don't know. And I think we did a panel on that last year, as I recall. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and we probably will again. It's uh, it's one of those things where at the end of the day, you just, you just roll with it. It is what it is. Scott always says... Uh, you know, hey, am I a Trekkie or a Trekker? Well, to him, it's the same thing. You know, it's like, look, we like Star Trek. You know, let's let's go. Yes. So, yeah, uh, I totally yes. get that. Uh, well, uh, huh? the other thing about this is, I there are people that do this that would not do it otherwise. It 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 almost brings people out of their shells a little bit. Oh, completely. I, I'm, I'm convinced there are people out there that are doing this that would never do anything else like it. Yeah, no, don't no, totally. I think this is a great hobby for uh, bringing people out of their shell, as, as you say, and uh, helping almost with socialization because uh, there's a lot of people um, I know I've met through this hobby, some great friends I would never have met otherwise, and I, I know a lot of them say the same thing. You know, just you, you just wouldn't have uh, not only the same social life, but, you know, expanding skill sets and how you learn from each other in terms of, uh, you know, tips, techniques, and all that great stuff. It's, it's really, in my opinion, a very rewarding hobby. Oh, absolutely. What, what would you say is the, is the best thing you've learned um, in all your years costuming? New sewing techniques, believe it or not. I try to choose costumes uh, that have parts about them that I've never done before. Uh, I'll give you a prime example right now. Uh, me and Welt Pockets are having a feud. <laughs> uh, Simplicity, the people at Simplicity Patterns don't have a clue how to do a Welt Pocket. And so, you know, trying their technique, well, you can forget it. And so I, I got on YouTube, and of course, all you got to do is type in how do you make a Welt Pocket, and of course, somebody's going to have a video, and, and somebody did. And uh, the technique that was presented made perfect sense to me. So I went out and I bought more, more, um, I bought more fabric and recut it this afternoon. And I'm going to spend tomorrow making welt pockets the way they should be made. (laughs) (laughs) That that brings up a good point. There, would you say uh, you're um, you're pretty much self-taught as a as a seamstress, or did you take any classes to get you going, or was it, or did your mom teach you? My mom taught me. My mom. See, we didn't have a whole lot of money growing up, and my mom was like, "If you want new stuff, you got to make it yourself." And she taught me how to do that. Um, And thank God for it, because I would not be doing this today if it hadn't been for her. You know, this is more of a side question. This came up on the forum, and I'll throw it out to you. It's it's really an extension of the you know screen accurate versus go for the feel. But someone brought up, uh, hey, in studying a costume, you catch you know in a whatever whether you get to look at the real one or a good photo, a mistake in the prop or the costume. It's clearly a mistake. Clearly, it was a rush or something. Do you replicate the mistake to keep it accurate to the piece, or do you fix it to you know idealize it? Well, you fix it. 
See, I I go for the feel, not for the not necessarily for the accuracy. Yeah, I do some a lot of the accuracy too, but um, I definitely like to go more for the feel of the thing because it's presented in real life, not necessarily on the screen and that which is on the screen may not may not work in real life the lanyard for the eyepiece is a perfect example mm -hmm. if you did that for real life it wouldn't work as well so you have to make adjustments but I don't know what mistake would what I wonder what they were referring to in terms of a mistake well, I, I know in, in this particular case, he was referring to how a, a vest was cut, that clearly it was like asymmetrical, and that's not how you normally would make a vest. And uh, he was debating whether to fix it or keep it to the high accuracy. And everyone had you know differing views on it. But for the most part, it was, look, if it's going to affect the read, you know, it, it, whatever basically gives it the better look, do that. You know, if, if it looks better to keep the yeah. mistake, then do it. If if it looks better to idealize it, then idealize it. And he had a personal thing saying, well, I don't want people to see this and think I'm like a bad tailor. And I go like, well, you're learning. And even if they did call you on it, you could even call it a point of pride saying, no, this is what the original is like. I was copying the original and they'll get it. You know, no one's going to call you on it. So um, anyway, I just thought yeah. that was yeah. kind of an interesting debate for, for, for a bit. It, I think this happens more with props than with costumes because uh, often real life oh, props yeah. are kind of crappy <laughs> and not as nice as you'd expect them to be. <laughs> Um, uh, what what would you say is your favorite material to work with? P I Q U E. Mm -hmm. It's got texture and it's got weight, and it's what I did the feminine Hartnell jacket with last year. It's really comfortable material. It breathes well, um, and like I say, it's, it's it's I wouldn't call it a bottom weight, but it's got some weight to it, but it's got texture to it, and I love that. Oh yeah. Um, I, I think it would read well with a camera. How much when you put together a costume? You know, I'm sorry. How much when you put together a costume are you thinking about um, how it's going to read on camera versus how it's going to read up close in real life? Because obviously you, you do a lot for conventions, and that kind of comes into play for both aspects. Yeah, and and I do. That's why I chose the peak. Uh, I wish I'd have found it for Hartnell's um, suit coat last. You know, the the real the Hartnell suit coat. Um, but I didn't. I found it for this, uh, for the for the feminine heart and all. But yeah, uh, velvets, um, uh, you know, wool blends. You know, the, the kinds of things that you got to have a little bit of texture to it. Um, it concerns me a little bit. I actually got concerned a little bit with this uh, Edwardian costume that I'm currently making because that is going to be on air, and you can't wear white on air. Uh, so I've chosen, I chose a, uh, basically the same color as a tea-stained muslin uh, with black trim. And hopefully that will work for them. But I certainly couldn't wear white. Right. Although I wanted to. Uh, I mean, that, that kind of outfit screams white, especially the blouse and uh, Gibson Girl blouse and stuff. Um, but I had to keep in mind that this is going to be on camera and, uh, you know, you got to dumb it down a little bit for that, which was fine, which is fine. Yeah, because white's going to pop too much in a flash usually. It is, it is. And I've got a strawberry blonde wig, so uh, that'll work very nicely. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
would you say you err to being more of uh, an original character uh, costumer or recreationist? What's the difference? Well, I mean, the way I always see it is uh, you're, you're recreating, and I suppose there's that range of saying you're recreating a particular style when you're talking period wear, but in particular, uh, recre- recreationist means like you're, you're copying or replicating a costume from uh, whatever, film or television, something that already has clearly been made, and you're trying to match it, you're trying to match these fabrics, versus I'm going to just do this original character, even if it is period or modern, I'm I'm just going to do this uh, very, um, you know, uh, a character that you have obviously more freedom with. Um, I, well, I'll go back, not necessarily to a character, but I'm going back to this current costume I'm working on. Uh, the patterns that I chose, there are three patterns I chose for this costume. One is a sta- the standard simplicity Edwardian driving coat Halloween costume. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's the top. But the Gibson girl blouse and the walking skirt are original patterns from the period. Original patterns from the period. Gotcha. Um, and the blouse um, is one of these cut lace things where when you make it, you lay uh, one inch wide lace in rows and then you cut out the material underneath so that you can see through the lace in the blouse. That's an original design. I just didn't have time to do it with this blouse, so I just used my substitute, which was to use eyelet. Uh, so it gave that feel of this kind of a peekaboo thing that the Gibson Girl blouses had without having to spend a month trying to do cut work underneath a piece of lace. Right. Same thing with the skirt. The skirt pattern has hand-embroidered eyelets in it, and it would take 40 hours of embroidery to do that. And then it's one of these things you have to embroider and then cut out the material underneath. And it's very, very time-consuming. So I chose not to do that for this costume. I might make another one later if I have time to do that kind of work. But frankly, around here, it would probably be an effort that would not necessarily be rewarded, as it were, Mm -hmm. because people around here don't appreciate that kind of thing. Uh, It's sounding to me like, and this is something I've I've always been somewhat aware of, that uh, where you're based um, in, well, the world, but in particular the country, is going to have a huge impact on the type of costumes you pursue and where you pursue them. Yes, and Eldrad's a perfect example. Um, I had gone, I think I mentioned that I was thinking about doing casting of uh, gravel uh, mm-hmm. and uh, concrete uh, for part of this Eldrad costume. Well, there's no mold casting sources around here. Um, The closest one to me was in Santee, South Carolina, which is about an hour and a half away. Um, And even they didn't want to help, as it were. I I think they had this. I think I think they had the materials that I needed, but they didn't think they had the materials that I needed. 
I mean, I even referenced them the video of her scene in Hand of Fear on YouTube. Uh-huh. So they would know what this character is supposed to be and let them tell me what I needed to buy from them to make this thing work. And they called me a week later and said, sorry, I don't think we can help. And they suggested going with the um, with phone, uh, with the, um, yeah. Um, the the L- same- L200, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which, you know, I, I went ahead and bought, and I've got it in storage, but I honestly am not comfortable doing it, so I'm just not going to do it. Well, uh, you know, I understand that. I know that uh, Vicky, uh, on her version, was looking at these, like, clear plastic uh, placemats, um, which actually have a pebble kind of texture. Mm-hmm. And she's going to basically just cut them out of that. Although I think for the larger pieces, she might still have to go with foam. Um, but I mean, both, both approaches are, are totally valid. It's just a matter of, yeah, what, what are you comfortable with? What fits your budget? I think. Yeah. Yeah. And I didn't have, I have no experience using um, a, a spray gun, a paint gun. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. And, uh, and, and doing all the things that you had done. Um, again, I, I wouldn't mind doing it if I had somebody here to guide me along the way, but there's nobody here. Yeah, yeah, I totally understand that. I was so thankful not only did he have the experience, but he either had the tools or easily knew who did have the tools that we could borrow and use for the day. And that the tools alone would have stopped me because I normally I don't have access to 90% of that stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, there's certain things I can do with basic foam construction. Yeah, foam and a little barge glue, fine. Yeah, that's not that's not a problem. But when you get into those finer points that you probably saw on the blog, it, it got crazy where I'm like, wow, thank Thank God. Yes. <laughs> I'm yes, under tutelage absolutely. Here. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, and I had this nightmare of, you know, getting the uh, getting the bodysuit together and then starting to glue this stuff on it and screwing it up. Mm-hmm. Because that's a lot of work. And having no experience with it, I was like, you know, I don't want to go to a whole lot of trouble to do this and then screw it up two thirds of the way through. <laughs> yeah. You know, so <laughs> I was like, no, I think I'll, I'll I think I'll use my, my talent somewhere else. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> something I know what I, I'm something I know that I can do. <laughs> no, that makes perfect sense. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, yeah. You, you, are you planning anything for next year? Um, I've got a City of Death Tom Baker I'm putting together, um, and then uh, for a monster, Paul and I have talked about a Zygon, so we're hoping that'll, ah, that'll happen. Ah, very good. Yeah. Oh, and Malachi, who, you know, was the Cyberman, the new series uh-huh. Cyberman, uh, we've talked about some some ideas, and he wants to do, like, a classic Who monster at some point, and he, he has some ideas on his table, like a, like a Transformer-esque TARDIS that can turn from a robot into a TARDIS, and... Uh, um, uh, cleaner from Paradise Towers, and oh, yeah, uh, yeah. I know, crazy. Uh, but the big one I was trying to point him to when he suggested because he was talking about a Santaran for a bit, and I was like, "Oh, Santaran would be great. Let's do that." And then um, somehow uh, we were talking other larger creatures, and the K1 robot came up, and he's like, "Oh yeah, I could do that." And I'm like, "Oh, no way. <laughs> no, I've seen that. I've seen. I saw that over in Wales." Uh huh. It's huge. It looks gigantic. Yeah. It is huge. 
But so we, good luck to <laughs> Yeah, I really want to do it, but I, I know that's not gonna happen soon. But I kinda keep it I'm like, don't don't forget about that. It doesn't have to be this year, but you know, don't let's 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 not let that one go. You know? uh, here's the other constraint I've got. Uh-huh. I'm here. You're there. I have to fly. Yeah. Yeah. You know? And um yeah. That that that's a that's a that's something that has to be considered when you when you're traveling. Um I, I couldn't I couldn't travel with K one robot. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, I know a lot of people who fly to Dragon Con or, or even Comic Con and they have to ship their costumes and then you're adding all this extra expense just for shipping and I'm like, ooh, like I would be so scared of the mail damaging or losing that stuff, you know? Oh absolutely. Oh yeah. So <laughs> But I, I understand. That's, that's that's why I tend to stick to more local conventions. I haven't been outside of Vegas for a convention uh, in years. I mean, I used to go to ones local in Minnesota, which is where I'm from. But I haven't been to one of those in 12, 13 years. Mm. So, yeah. And I feel bad, too, because I'd like to go to other conventions. And I have I have costumes I can pack. That's not a huge deal. But uh, it's just it's the airfare, you know. So. Well, uh, uh, I did get contacted by somebody... Very close to the convention, uh, to Gallifrey this year, uh, I can't remember her name, but she was wanting to do a skit with all feminine doctors. Oh, cool, yeah. So I'm hopeful that she'll contact me again, because I think that would be something worth pursuing. Totally. And the the whole uh, femme doctor, actually, I don't even know if this is done much in other uh, franchises or, or uh, genres. I, I've seen some feminized like stormtroopers and such, but... Uh, it seems to be a little bit more of a Doctor Who phenomenon to me than, you know, like you'd find in uh, Star Trek or something. But, uh, yeah, that would be really cool because it really has been on the rise, I'd say, the last, like, two years or so mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. see it. And it's, it's been really neat. Have you seen, um, I don't know how much you, you go on DW Cosplay, but uh, there's that girl called uh, Penwiper who did a, a Femme Fourth Doctor that I thought was really, really well done. It was a season 18 version with the all burgundy look. Oh, yes, yes, I have seen that. That thing was gorgeous. Yeah, yeah, she's done some fabulous work. That Liz Shaw she did, too, is just phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm always impressed when people go old school, and I'm like, yeah, there it's we like go. The guy who, it's like the guy who did Sarah Jane's Andy Pandy outfit a couple of years ago. <laughs> oh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> the, you're talking about the male version or the, or the regular yes. version? Yeah, yeah. That dressed up as Sarah Jane in the Andy Panda outfit is like okay. <laughs> it, it's uh yeah boy that I feel like there's a there's a tighter tightrope a guy walks when he wants to go the other way not impossible but uh, <laughs> yeah very very edging but yeah no I've I've been always been really really impressed there's that parasol version of the Sixth Doctor I always thought was really dynamite. Yes mm-hmm. yes. Well Valerie thank you so much for being on a uh, pleasure to talk to you. You too. Awesome. And we'll be back with more Costume Shop Talk next week on Costume Station Zero.
کرتے ہیں 